Hi, and welcome to Preserving Palestine by Grata Middle East. My name is Lina Saadi, and on this episode, I've invited an Emmy-nominated journalist and activist to join me. He is a man of many, many talents and is full of surprises. He has personally inspired me from a very young age to help preserve Palestine. Please welcome Ahmad Shihab Al-Din. Hi, Ahmad. How are you? Good. How Thank are you? you so much for agreeing to do this and being part of Preserving Palestine. It's my pleasure. Um, I have to say, I've recorded a lot of these episodes, but there's no one that has inspired me throughout my childhood and my life as much as you have. Oh, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Not just as a Palestinian, but you know, as a humanitarian and especially as a journalist as well. Not that I can compare myself to you. Why not? <laughs> Maybe in a few years. Yeah, yeah. It's all, no, I, I really appreciate that. It's very humbling to hear. So my first question to you is, obviously you're a very well-respected and esteemed journalist, um, but I'm curious to know behind all of that, who it really is, Ahmed al-Din? Uh, first, I want to say, who have you been speaking to? They've been lying to you <laughs> about all that respect. No, I'm teasing. Um, it's a really good question. Um, and it's a question I've been asking myself more and more in recent years, uh, in part because I think sometimes we get really caught up in, in what we're doing, especially as journalists, um, focusing a lot on other people's stories that sometimes perhaps we lose sight of our own, um, or at least... I can't agree more. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Very relatable mm-hmm. uh, concept. But um, who am I? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a very curious uh, person. I think at my core, that's like one of the defining characteristics. Um, and I'm someone who really uh, is... I think like many, not just Palestinians, but people with sort of these um, sort of conflicting identities, whether between East or West, uh, and, you know, being Palestinian always comes uh, with this sort of confusing, I don't want to say confusing, but I think it's, it's always tough because it's like, I feel that's my home, but because I've never lived there, I feel so connected to it, and yet uh, for many years I had never really been there or experienced it, so... Yeah, I don't know. Who am I? I'm, <laughs> I'm someone who loves to tell stories and I'm someone who is quite um, obsessed with hearing stories mm-hmm. and listening to stories. So I think that's why I ended up working as a storyteller. Wow, I love that. So I wanted to ask, I read somewhere online that, you know, you love to dance. Yes. <laughs> dance is probably my first uh, passion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when I was a child, before sort of I started absorbing sort of the conditioning that society tells you and the messaging from my, my, uh, wor- the world around me of what I maybe should do or what I shouldn't do, dance was always um, the number one uh, passion. And what type of dance? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I love all kinds of dance. When I was a child, I was pretty... Pretty obsessed with Michael Jackson's uh, moves, <laughs> if you too. will. I think who wasn't? Can you moonwalk? I could never get the moonwalk down, but I, I got the spins and all the other hand uh, gesticulations. No, I, I remember very vividly watching him and a lot of other dance dancers, um, performers, and just thinking that's what I want to do when I grow up. But I only do that on the dance floor. I don't, I don't I, you know, in a social setting. No, dance is definitely, I think anything where you, any sort of art form, which I think journalism is one as well, um, where you express yourself freely. And uh, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's something I, I really love. And to let loose as well. I was actually a ballerina for 15 years of my life. No way. Oof, that's yeah, tough. Well, common than yeah, I thought we did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's tough though. Ballet is, yeah. I never... I, I also, I should say, did West African dance. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if you, you're familiar with it, but it's very, obviously, very rhythmic. Um, and I was, I was, at one point in my life, I think I was going to go that route, but let's just leave it at, there were some very friendly reminders that <laughs> that might be a tougher life. Are you going to bust some moves for us maybe in the middle of this podcast? Yeah, I'm that. sure our viewers would love to see. Yeah, why not? So I also wanted to ask, obviously, you've been such an adamant and significant voice, not only for Palestinian people, for, but for all groups of marginalized people around the world. Um, do you believe that freedom, equality and justice are only possible once they're given to everyone? 
do you think our freedom as Palestinians is dependent on the freedom of other people? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think, you know, there's that famous quote, no one is free or none of us uh, are free until everyone is free. Um, and, you know, I've grown up in a lot of different countries where I've witnessed all kinds of different marginalized groups, including just generally women. Um, you know, and it's all very relative, right? Um, I think there are varying degrees of sort of dehumanization and oppression. And um, I was always very, maybe too aware at a very young age of sort of my relative privilege, not just as a man uh, in this world that, um, you know, there's a lot of privilege that comes with that inherently. Just on the issue of Palestine uh, and in every place I've existed, I've seen for example, in the U.S., you know, the sort of black community and, and perceptions around them and how they're mistreated and marginalized and historically oppressed and even today oppressed. And the same is true for, for um, Palestinians. I think you start to draw sometimes parallels, even when the context and circumstances are very different. You start, uh, I think it's very natural to just see similarities in terms of how, how systems of oppression work. Uh, or rather how they oppress um, and so yeah I think on a, on a fundamental level it's not as I mean you know I think it's theoretical in a sense because um, I mean the truth is a lot of people enjoy freedoms uh, while other groups including for example the Palestinians which I would argue um, collectively suffer are one of the one of the groups of people that suffer I think the most in this modern day and age not uniquely, but I would say, you know, it's not singularly, but I think, yeah, I think um, that's why I've always been really inspired by uh, other communities that are fighting for their freedom and dignity. When I lived in the States, when I started my career as a journalist, I used to go to Puerto Rico, for example, a lot for vacation. Of course, Puerto Rico has uh, quite a colonial history in the context of the U.S., and I always wondered, like, beyond the beach and the beauty of, of the culture and the people, I was like, why do I gravitate towards this place? And again, I think it's because of that sort of shared um, experience of sort of um, marginalization and, and dehumanization, really, and misrepresentation. Um, and that's why I always try to connect the Palestinian struggle for freedom and dignity to other struggles and, and um, yeah, I fundamentally believe that no one is free until we're all free. I just wish, yeah, we can get there sooner. Inshallah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think as Palestinians, especially, I think it's important for us to also realize that we need to fight for other marginalized people as well. 100%. You know, it's yeah. not just about them fighting for us. We need to fight for them as well because mm -hmm. we won't find justice and freedom until you know we show the world that it's it's we're, we're all united in the same struggle yeah i think i also relate so much to to certain communities like mm -hmm. i i like how you said about when you visited puerto rico being in university there was always certain communities that i just gravitated towards mm -hmm. so much better and so much easier because it was easier to get along with them because we had a similar, you know, background, similar struggles, similar mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to also ask you one thing that we obviously also have in common other than our dancing skills. <laughs> I'm getting excited. When's the dancing part of this podcast? They're going to think we're actually going to dance at the end of it. We're misleading them. There. Um, was that we're both Palestinian journalists. And I wanted to ask personally, after hearing about the tragic murder of Shirin Abu Akleh, may she rest in peace, um, it did the opposite of making me fear for my life. But in fact, it only made me want to raise my voice even more. Um, I was just at, curious to know, how did you react to her tragic death and the many other deaths, murders of other journalists? Um. The loss of Shireen is hard to put into words for, I think, anybody who knew her professionally or personally and what she represented to Palestinians, but also to journalists around the world. I'm getting goosebumps only because when I'm remembering now to answer your question, when I heard the news, there was a sense of disbelief at first. The reality of what's happening on the ground in Palestine 
does not um, get amplified, does not get told, because she was quite unique in terms of her bravery, her courage, her persistence. I mean, not to suggest that others don't do the same thing, other journalists or other people who are advocating for the Palestinian um, simple, basic cause for, for basic freedoms and dignity. But yeah, it was it was really tough. I agree with you, though. It didn't make me feel as though I want to be more muted or I want to, you know, censor myself. Quite the contrary. It made me, I think the first emotion was deep sadness. The second emotion was anger. As the lack of accountability played out um, and sort of all the charade of focusing on the bullet and sort of distracting from the actual issue, it really um, continued to make me angry, but also kind of made me made me want to um, double down on sort of being unapologetic and very bold and uh, I would say bold and accurate about you know, to continue her legacy is really to do what she did so tirelessly and so effectively, which is, you know, speak truth to power and um, be consistent and be credible and be compelling uh, in the process of, of doing her reporting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I have to admit, I had so much rage inside of me. Rage is the right word. Yeah. Just pure anger, mm -hmm. so much hatred almost. Um, and, and I mean, I'm not saying hatred to a certain group of people. No, I know what you mean. But just hatred at the whole world, yeah. the whole situation. Yeah. Like this was a woman that I would watch on TV since I was a little girl. My parents watched her, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. We always had her on and she was such a symbol for our resistance, mm -hmm. our perseverance. And it's, it's so tragic what happened to her. Uh, I, I can't even begin to put into words what type of loss all Palestinians felt mm -hmm. and not just Palestinians, really the entire media world, because when you to kill a journalist, this is also a quote to kill a journalist or a poet, I think, is to kill the truth, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's really what happened. Yeah, I think the other thing I'd say about Shireen and not to make this at all um about my experience reporting in palestine is you know i've i've reported in in palestine and israel a handful of times on different reporting trips and each time had its own difficulties and challenges as you can imagine i don't know how to describe it other than to say there were moments when i would come home and you know i would be so distraught and so just exhausted and so disillusioned and then to wake up the next day and have to do it all over again and let's say I did it for 10 days in a row and it can be demoralizing and it can be frustrating especially when you know that maybe um, there's a limit to how much impact you can have you still do it and so when I, I always had sort of the luxury to leave right and go back to wherever I was living um, which was not there on the ground and I think that's something that's really important to remember about what she, what she really did uh, in the context of journalism. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine doing it day out, day in for whatever, however many decades, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I don't know if it's that I was raised by like a powerful Palestinian woman, but like, I think it's, it's not lost on me that she was a woman and she was so celebrated and she was so significant. Um, in the context of Palestinian culture. You know, of course, it's part of a patriarchal society, much like the rest of the world, but I think there's a certain um, power and persistence and sort of uh, palpable, uh, again, just this really powerful uh, voice and mentality and attitude that a lot of Palestinian women in my life have, and she's certainly one of them, even if I didn't know her quite personally. Um, she was a, a colleague and, and someone who I think um, sort of set the standard. I have a lot of respect for, for her and for her family and for how they've been dealing with the lack of accountability. Um, because I think we've seen in, in the world before what happens when journalists are murdered without any accountability. And I think it can have a real chilling effect 
And so I hope that and I, I, I will do not just as a journalist, but as a human, I will do what I can um, to continue trying to bring justice for her, her, her death. We all will. Yeah. So you mentioned that you used to report on the ground there yeah. in Palestine. Did you ever fear for your life? Yeah, I mean, there, there have definitely been moments on the ground while reporting where I feared for my life in a moment, sort of. I wouldn't say feared for my life, but where there was a real present danger. Um, but in those moments, I think that's not what you're focusing. Like, I don't focus on the fear in those moments. Sometimes it, it comes like hours, hours or days later where I think back, oh, wow, like that was pretty close, you know? And, and it was just very uncontrolled and anything could have happened in that moment. And that's the, that's the thing that there was this one time for AJ+, Plus, I was in uh, Jerusalem and Israel had prevented uh, Palestinian worshippers from going inside Al-Aqsa. I was in Jerusalem and it just went from zero to a hundred in a matter of seconds, right? Um, just in terms of, of the danger and, and the violence. And in that moment, I remember my camera person had disappeared and I lost track of them. And it was really important to have, because everything was happening and there was a lot of, I think a few people died actually that day. And, you know, I was doing a live report, and, or not a live report, I was, I was reporting to the camera and then because I couldn't find the camera, I had no idea, you know, I was there witnessing it all, but I wasn't able to sort of continue the documentation process. And I remember very vividly sort of being aware in that moment of my vulnerability for the first time because I think where your mind goes in those moments is you're seeing all the people around you who are sort of the subjects of this oppression and you, you, your job is to document what's happening and to be, in my mind, it's to really be the voice of the voiceless which has always been a guiding force and I was really panicked because I felt like I couldn't be so I was much more in an observer state than in a sort of uh, conduit you know, translator state, translating what was happening. And anyway, all this to say that, yeah, that was maybe one time when I, when I really, the next day I remember I woke up, I was like, wow, that was close. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's happened a handful of times. And I think between you and I, it's, uh, it's, it's I've, I've certainly gotten quite a few death threats um, on social media. I don't like to talk about it much because I think it can feel like a distraction and I, I think it's not good to focus your energy and your attention on those things in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of crazy people in this world who, who um, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know how real some of them are, but one time I, I had to sort of like get authorities involved. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's usually for, yeah. I, I don't, again, I don't like to give it too much air. And what about, you know, when it came to your writing or your interviews, were you ever refrained from saying something that people thought was taboo or, you know, they told you, we'd rather you don't talk about that? I mean, have you ever been censored? I'm, I'm sure you have, but I'd like to know more about that. It's sad to say that at every news organization that I've worked for, um, I've experienced a form of, you know, censorship or pressure, pressure to self-censor on the issue of Palestine and Israel in particular. But it's also happened on other issues. And we've seen since, we've known for decades that there's been a misrepresentation in the mainstream media. But recently we've seen what I think is more troubling where Facebook is admitting that they've been censoring Palestinian voices. Um, and uh, it's just a reality, and I think that's why it's all the more important that we um, find ways to sort of try to circumvent that, whether as journalists within our newsrooms um, or that we pressure, you know, sort of the media companies like Meta and Facebook who don't acknowledge that they're media companies, but, you know, they're the biggest media, uh, media companies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's very disappointing, but it is the reality. I will share one anecdote if that's okay. I'll try to be brief. One of, just an example, there's something that happens too often where there's this both sidesism that happens in the context of Israel and Palestine where there's, I think, an intentional effort to erase the disproportionate power dynamic of 
um, the occupying force with the oppressed uh, people. I was working for Vice on a documentary and there was one line um, in this particular documentary that they sort of coerced me into saying and it's one of my biggest regrets even though it's just one line in a documentary I did. It was the first documentary on Palestine that ever aired on HBO from a Palestinian perspective. I went and followed youth in Palestine and basically they made me say both sides have suffered massive casualties. And I fought it and I would, was pretty sure that I was told that that line had been changed and I had recorded another line of voiceover for the documentary and somehow they took the original uh, recording and they put it in the doc and so not only is it inaccurate and misleading which obviously you never want to be as a journalist but again when you say both sides have suffered massive casualties um, the word this is how they obfuscate and obscure the reality of what's happening on the ground because um, when one side has however many deaths, 200, and the other has two, or a thousand, and you know, five, or whatever it is, um, it's not true that both sides have suffered massive casualties, because that would mean it would have to be equal. And even just that term, I can't believe that the words both sides uh, came out of my mouth in this documentary. There were many other issues that were censored, many other scenes. It's just, it's, it's maddening to me uh, that even someone like myself, who's very aware of this, could somehow have been manipulated one way or another. Because at the end of the day, when you work for a company, as you must know, um, they own the rights and they kind of own the story. And so I, it's one of my biggest regrets that that documentary included this line and also didn't include a lot of the incredibly powerful scenes that really depict um, and provide a visualization for like there were scenes that we had filmed that on their own would really get to the heart of I think the the occupation and the, the struggle mm -hmm. and they just took them out and that was one of the reasons I left Vice um, because I, I couldn't quite um, in good faith stay at an organization that did that but it's been encouraging that since then for example just a few weeks ago uh, Lama Al-Aryan, who now works for Vice News, just won an Emmy for some of her reporting on um, Palestine and Israel. Wow. Yeah, and it's also just really incredible work because it's, it's much more uh, of an accurate portrayal of what's happened. So I don't know if that's just a sign of progress in terms of more, um, you know, more of a fair representation of what's happening in, in, on the ground. But I do find that encouraging. So, you know, even though there's a lot to, to lament and there's a lot to, um, to talk about when it comes to censorship of Palestinian voices, of journalists, um, there's also some wins. And I think it's important that we focus on those as well for as much as we talk about the censorship. I mean, that's not to suggest that um, things have changed dramatically, but I think we are shifting, hopefully, towards a, a sort of trajectory where eventually, um, maybe there'll be a real representation of the reality on the ground. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's important that we celebrate the wins, you know? As someone who's reported in dozens of countries, covered many conflicts, wars, um, I think Palestine is one of the most consistently censored and misrepresented. Oh yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's intentional. I think it's not a coincidence. Of course, yeah. We've, and, it's also been encouraging that since there's been a lot of focus on how social media companies and sort of tech giants, we've seen like people at Amazon, Google, a lot of employees speaking out uh, more and more about sort of the, the misrepresentation, the censorship. I think it's been encouraging because for as much as that's happening, there's more focus, I think, and there's a lot more pressure with the decentralization of media, sort of the democratization of media for as much as We've seen small shifts in terms of um, sort of uh, Palestinian voices uh, being slightly more amplified and less censored, um, which is indicative of this, this Vice News uh, documentary that won the Emmy. And, and there have been other, uh, other people who have been willing to not only um, represent sort of the, the war and the occupation in, in, in its true light, 
I think we're, we're starting to see more people from across a broad sp spectrum, not just journalists who are willing to kind of um, speak out, mm -hmm. even when there's so much to lose. I've worked at the New York Times, I've worked at the Huffington Post, and I've worked at many other US um, mainstream and other organizations where there's, again, been a consistent effort to sort of obfuscate or to distract or to simply say this is a red line. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't use words like occupation or even now apartheid. It's uh, all the more reason to keep the pressure on and to keep sort of speaking truth to power. And that's why it's important um, to preserve Palestine and I mean what's wild to me is when I'm invited either to a campus like I gave a speech uh, with Muhammad al-Kurd at Duke and it's just it's mind-blowing to me the lengths that certain groups and organizations will will go to try to censor those voices those sort of bold voices like Muhammad al-Kurds and others and yours. Yeah, and who are, who are just unapologetic, but who are accurate, who are credible, um, whose criticisms and um, the things they communicate are based in fact, mm -hmm. not just uh, opinion or conjecture. And so, yeah, I think we, we need to keep uh, doing it. And it's just strange to me when I get invited to speak about Palestine or to talk about my reporting. And then one of the sort of conditions or cautions is, but please don't, don't be political, you know, just talk about Palestinians and talk about you can talk about their struggle you can talk about the cause but don't mention Israel or talk about the cause but don't be political how are you gonna do that you have to mention it and inherently everything's political uh, whether we're talking about Palestine or not and so it's it's especially in Palestine I mean, how do you talk about Palestine without talking about politics <laughs> makes you wonder what's the definition of politics? <laughs> that's a really good question everything's political so you've worked in several reputable different institutions and media outlets, mm -hmm. including AJ Plus, Huffington Post, the New York Times. Um, but what's next for Ahmed Din? I'm just curious. Well, um, that's a good question. I don't imagine and <laughs> I don't think that I'll necessarily work for a media company anytime soon in a full time capacity. Never say never. But it's not sort of the intention. Um, I've worked for many um, and I've worked, for example, for Al Jazeera English uh, several times. I've left and then come back and I've left in different capacities, in part because Al Jazeera English was um, one of the least uh, likely to censor Palestinian voices. But what's next for Ahmed? Um, I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> some, um, some dance classes? Yeah, maybe uh, I am taking dance classes. No, no, I meant you teach. Oh, no, I can't teach. No, still, I'm always, always wanting to learn more. Um, no, I think recently I've been exploring new modalities of doing what I've always loved to do, which is tell stories and amplify voices of sort of the marginalized people, as you said. Um, I recently moved to Barcelona. I'm studying digital music production. Wow, you're studying? Yeah, I'm studying. See, that's why. Oh my my dad, you sound like my dad. Whenever I was, like, <laughs> I, I tell him, oh, I'm, I'm going to Barcelona. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, school. He's like, you're teaching again. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm actually taking courses. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always, much like my passion for dance, I've always had a passion for music. I guess the two tend to go together. And they can be, I think, among the most powerful but let's say, I think music is not only a universal language, but it has a real power to um, inspire and move people. And I think also um, it can really grab your attention and it can be very cathartic. And so for me, I, I'm very, what's next for me in the short term is to explore music a little bit more as a form of storytelling. Um, you are really full of surprises. Yeah, <laughs> that's what my dad says. <laughs> You're really channeling my dad. No, I'm teasing Haram. He, I always use him as a, as a scapegoat. Allah um, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I just think it's important to always challenge yourself. And sometimes you get to a point in life where it's not that you're no longer learning. It's not like I've reached the apex of what I can learn and what I can provide or offer or do as a journalist. 
But I really don't like the idea of limiting yourself or of always doing the same thing over and over. And sometimes in recent years, I got to a point, I think the pandemic gave us all time to reflect on what are, what we really want to be doing. And it's also a privilege to, to be able to do that. So yeah, I think I've put in a lot of good time in, in the journalism world. And it's not to say that I'm not, I, like I just have been working on a documentary for the last two years. It's an investigative doc. Um, About Palestine or? No, good question. It's based in the Middle East. That's all I can really say for now. No spoilers, come on. I'll give you a little spoiler. It's unsurprisingly about um, human rights and a marginalized group of people in the Arab world. So it's about a specific group of people. Yeah, it's about a specific community in the Arab world that is marginalized. um, And it's also was very difficult to report uh, for many logistical reasons, but also um, much like Palestine has been taboo, as we've discussed, um, so is this sort of community. And so it's it's something that's very, uh, it's been very exhausting in, in a good way, but also it's taken a lot of time and energy and I'm so proud of it, um, but it's also very risky. And so it's been quite um, difficult. Um, and so now that that's complete and it's gonna air I believe in December, Um, it's going to be broadcast on a major sort of international broadcaster. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see how it's going to be received. But all this to say, after this experience, I I thought for myself and um, yeah, for the future, I really want to take a little bit of time and uh, again, not only explore music, but quite frankly, I've been doing a lot of auditions. Um, also challenging myself with acting. Oh my god! I just completed a short film um, in Germany with this really talented Jordanian director. I, just pause. Sorry, I have to interrupt. No, Do pause. you also have twenty-four hours in your day, yeah. just like the rest of us human? It's funny, yeah, yeah. It's funny. No, it's been a real. Um, aside from working on this documentary, because it was so, uh, the subject matter was really intense and the process was very challenging. I, I wanted to also pursue projects that are more passion projects. So this film is also a beautiful love story. It's a short film, I'm acting in it. Um, And it's something I've always been passionate about as well. I think sometimes film and fiction um, can be a lot more impactful and long lasting in terms of how it sits with the audience and it can like challenge the audience to, to challenge their own perceptions and you know, it can have a real impact. So it's something I'm also exploring. It sounds strange, my, 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 some people might say um, it sounds a bit like I'm unfocused, um, but I would I like to spin it and say that I'm focusing on challenging myself in the context of telling stories in a new way. Um, so we'll see what what happens. So I don't know what's next for me. I'd love to see your CV, like how long it is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's just like a whole whole portfolio, like 500 pages. <laughs> it's it, it's so funny because. Um, my CV is actually a bit, I mean, it's, it's very journalism focused. Like I've done two or three short films over the past few years, um, some with student directors. And so they haven't gotten a lot of fanfare, but um, I definitely am very curious to explore the filmmaking world more, not just as an actor, but as um, hopefully one day, like um, as a producer or a director, I, I want to, write a film, a short film. I'm very inspired by other filmmakers. I'm actually here in the UAE for the film festival in Sharjah. And I'm going to be interviewing Dedin, who made this incredible film called Farha, which is the official selection for the Oscars for Jordan. And it's a film about the Nakba. And so again, Palestine related. And for example, watching that film, it's just for me, it's so much more. I mean, when have we ever seen we hear about the Nakba, it's reported on, we, we, we talk about it, but it's never really been fiction, like visualized in a piece of fiction with such intensity. Um, not trying to plug that film, although it's a great film, everyone should watch it. Um, but it's, yeah, those are things that inspire me and I would love to do more of that. And also the music, I'll just mention quickly, ever since I was like 10 years old, I would be singing to myself, like we all do in the shower and whatnot. But I always hear melodies in my head and I just never really quite had the time or the willingness to give myself the permission to truly explore it. Like I have about five, 
to 10 half-written songs, uh, sometimes having to do with Palestine. Um, by that, I mean, no, no, but I'm not trying to sound... You're really making me feel bad about myself. No, like, no, I'm stressed no. enough at work, kidding? and you're making me feel like I should be doing, like, 10 no, more no, things. No, not at all. I mean, everyone has their journey, but all, also, like, case in point, I'm telling you, I've never completed one song in the past 20 years of, like, always hearing melodies in my head. So I think sometimes in life we have to give ourselves... Uh, permission to explore new things and you never know what can come of that so I love that yeah. what a beautiful quote yeah, <laughs> I was just curious um, the documentary that you you're working on um, are you producing or directing or uh, producing and essentially I'm the reporter so I'm like the, the I'm the well I'm the only person in the film I believe, who is not anonymized because we had to do that to protect sort of our sources and our characters. Uh, also, this really is risky. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I don't want to say too much, but I think there are always consequences to reporting uh, difficult stories and on communities that are marginalized, especially when there are people who would rather those stories not be told, whether about Palestine or anything else, as I'm sure you know. And so, yeah, I, uh, yeah, producing and uh, I worked with a great team. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to say too much, but I'm, I'm excited. And when can we expect it to air? Uh, first week of December. Oh, wow. That's going to be soon. Yeah. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I truly admire about you is how supportive you are and you have been, you know, throughout your entire career, not just when it comes to Palestinians, um, mm. but to all types of marginalized people. Um, and giving voices to these people. Um, you always share people's stories on whether it's through your social media platforms or at work while you're when you're reporting mm -hmm. and you just you, you show love and kindness and I think that's such an important trait to have as an activist, you know, and I was just curious at the start of your career. Did you also experience a lot of that same support and kindness and nurturing environment? I did receive a lot of support, particularly from older sort of mentors who had more experience. And there have been some that have been invaluable in terms of sort of helping instill that in me. I would also like to credit my mother. She's very, um, beyond being a very sort of um, strong and, and sort of uh, bold Palestinian woman, as many are, she is very empathic, she's very sensitive and very compassionate, and I think I get some of that from her. The reason I'm here in part <laughs> uh, is because whenever people reach out to me to do anything related to Palestine, I always try and prioritize that um, because I'm very cognizant and aware of how, um, how rare it is and also how, again, we've talked about the sort of misrepresentation and sort of the censorship. and so. I always try to make time for that, especially so it's anything Palestine related and anything sort of youth related where it's very educative, like with students, like a student organization will invite me mm -hmm. and it won't work in my schedule because I have all these other commitments, but I'll do my best to make it work. And it's not to sound like I'm some like noble person, but I think it's important in life, um, especially for someone with ADHD. <laughs> um, to Really? Yeah, I have ADHD. Yeah. I haven't properly been medicated, but maybe that's obvious. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. But my point is it's important to sort of prioritize and to know between you and yourself um, what's important to you, you know, and what your values are and, um, you know, what motivates you to tell stories or be a journalist or, um, you know, travel and attend events and you know I, I do a lot of things not just Palestine related but yeah those are the two things I always try to prioritize so like young people and students and anything sort of educative and then also Palestine um, I will say I don't want to give shout outs to like people in my career or like but um, for example Dima Khatib is, is a friend and also my former boss and she's someone who I I kind of admire for her uh, her tenacity and you know her, the way she she reports and the way she tells stories and there have been on the flip side a few and a handful of examples of where I think it's also worth mentioning this where sort of other Palestinian journalists have 
I guess, perceived me to be or have been worried about competition or like, for example, I'll just be honest. Well, actually, this is a bit of like dirt. <laughs> I won't name names. Spill the tea. Yeah. I'm going to spill a little bit of tea, but I think it's important because it's a cautionary tale. Like I once gave someone a leg up when I was sort of in a really high position building a platform. And I, you know, someone came to me who was Palestinian in journalism and they asked for an opportunity and I did everything I could to, to, to give them that and they got the job. And uh, a few years later, after we worked together for a while, I, as life, as it goes, you know, there was an opportunity where I was now trying to get an opportunity at a, at a company they were working at and they kind of did everything in their power for whatever reason after I gave them, you know, this great opportunity because, and I didn't do it out of like the kindness of my heart. It was because I thought they deserved it. And also because I could, you know, why not? Right. And so through the grapevine, I would learn that they had done everything to sort of, um, discourage, um, the people who were willing to, who were wanting to hire me from hiring me. And I think it's because they perceived me to be maybe like a threat or someone that they would have to compete with. And, you know, we all have egos and we all have um, our sort of aspirations, but like it was something that really impacted me on a human level. It was like an, a learning experience where I was quite dumbfounded and, and disappointed. Um, I got the job in the end. Of course you did. Uh, but, it, but it was very difficult and um, it, was, it was a bit depressing to keep it real. Also, it's depressing to see that, you know, as Palestinians, mm -hmm. why aren't we supporting each other? You know, it, it shouldn't be about competition. It really shouldn't. Amen. I mean, I think competition is healthy, right? But I always view it as why, why, why would you not see it as we're collaborating? You know, that it's a collaboration, that there will be some healthy competition and that will maybe make you better at what you do and exactly. me better at what I do and us better at what we do. And that can help everyone. Like it's a bit, sounds a bit like kumbaya, but you know, that's how I like to operate or try to operate. I mean, I'm also guilty sometimes of feeling, you know, jealousy or, you know, oh, I wish, but, but I think especially for Palestinians, because let's not forget, like this is a population that for decades has endured sort of a strategy of divide and conquer. It's not a coincidence that geographically Palestinians have been divided from each other because that's an effective way to, to make, uh, make them powerless. You know what I mean? And this is what the occupying force wants. Exactly. They want us like, we already have, you know, an enemy. We already have many enemies. Mm -hmm. Why are we making ourselves enemies, Amen. each other's enemies? Amen. And one other thing I will say, if you'll let me. The first time I went to Palestine, I actually didn't go to report. I went at the age of 24 for my friend's wedding. Uh, Skandar Kapti, who's a filmmaker, he made this incredible film called Ajami, and it was nominated for the Oscars way back when. And I, I had the, the privilege of being invited to his wedding, and it was such an incredible experience being there. I mean, a lot of people... Um, who I would meet would, you know, who were Palestinian were, were sometimes surprised, uh, you know, this before, like maybe I was somewhat known in the community as a journalist. And when I would say, you know, I'd say I'm Palestinian, there I am with my Western English accent and what have you. And they'd be like, you're not Palestinian. How can you, you know, and a lot of the, the Israelis thought I was Israeli because of how I looked, my head was shaved, you know, I was very tan. So all this to say, one thing that I learned on that trip and subsequently is that Within, and something that I think is worth talking about is that within the Palestinian community, again, like you said, like it's important to be unified for any group of people with wanting to like sort of advance a cause or, you know, something as basic as like their basic human rights. It's important to have unity. And we've seen that in the last year or two during the summers when, when, when there was a really aggressive assault on Gaza and in the West Bank. Um, we saw those moments of unity, right, between the people who are living inside 1948 Palestine or inside Israel whatever you want to say, like people who are in the occupied West Bank and Gaza and also Palestinians in the diaspora. I mean, there are so many and there was kind of this coalescing and this kind of unity that was very inspiring, very palpable. And I think too often, I remember when I went to Palestine, sometimes people, but I'd be like, they'd be like, oh, it's a Mishfilistini. Like, oh no, you're not Palestinian. I'd be like, no, I am. I mean, sure, I, I was born in this other country and I've lived abroad and I haven't endured the same struggles as them. But and I'm not trying to compare, don't get me wrong, please. I don't want to be misquoted or what have you. But, you know, we all suffer. Um, exodus. What, in one way or another, we are suffering as well. Yeah, and, and, and again, like, 
whether it's suffering because you lose job opportunities as a journalist or because you're discriminated against or just the suffering of not really having a sense of belonging, not having a home or like wanting to go back to your homeland but not being able to because you don't have the right documentation. These are all struggles. This is part of our struggle. And um, I think it's, it's dangerous and it's, it's not uh, constructive. Uh, it's actually quite destructive to start saying, oh, well, you're not a real Palestinian or like just because and I, I totally can empathize with if you're living under occupation, if your daily experience, I mean, I'm not trying to compare, but rather than focus on what separates us, let's focus on what unites us, you know, this sense of belonging and this passion and this, this, this deep belief that we deserve uh, collectively as a group of people, whether you're living in a refugee camp in Jordan or in Lebanon, or if you have an American passport or you're living in London, we all face struggle. And, and it's not to equalize that struggle, but in order to uh, chip away at it, we need to be united and we need to really see each other as not equals, but as, um, you know, equally Palestinian, because this is a story of people who've been uh, you know, we've had to flee our homeland over generations and this trauma that comes with the loss of land, the loss of identity, the loss of what have it, what have you. Um, it's, it's, it's something that's, you know, it's real and it's, um, we, we, we don't need to divide further, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I, I wrote actually in my article that I may not have a piece of paper, a document, an official document that says I'm Palestinian. Mm -hmm. Technically, by the way, I have nothing that yeah. proves that I'm Palestinian. Me too. Absolutely nothing. Me too. But I don't need it. Right. I know I'm Palestinian yeah. in my blood, in my heart, in my soul, in my head, mm -hmm. you know, I, and no one and nothing can take that away from me. 100%. And I appreciate you saying that because one thing that I think a good way of looking at it is like both my parents were born in Palestine, right? I was not. <laughs> and with all the privileges that I have, there are many people in the diaspora who can choose because of their privilege of having another passport or having, you know, what have you. Um, they can choose to just not be involved, to not be engaged. That's a privilege, so to speak, right? And that's unfortunate. Like, I, I would hope that we want to encourage people to want to connect, to want to go back to want to at least, you know, be with, you know, identify as Palestinian and, and connect to the land, to the culture, to the, to the communities in Palestine and in the region. Because um, I really believe that at the end of the day, the strategy from the beginning since the Nakba has been to erase our existence, not just physically on the land, but our existence as an identity, as a people, as a rich culture. As if we never even existed yeah, like entirely. What is it, yeah. a land without a people? Like, And the whole point is that they, <clears throat> they actually think that one day we will forget, yeah. you know? And that's why we need to preserve Palestine, 100%. to make sure that these stories are told throughout every single generation. This is out there. This is living proof, documented proof of our stories. Especially increasingly, um, we're seeing Palestine removed from history or from school books, textbooks. I never had it in, in the yeah. books in my school. And even more and more, like in recent years, um, in certain parts of the world, in the Arab world and elsewhere, we're starting to see that happen more and more. I grew up in the Middle East, and I mentioned this in my episode with Anwar and Vin. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in the Middle East, in a British school, but in the Middle mm -hmm. East. And this was years ago. Mm -hmm and there was no Palestine, mm -hmm. no Palestine. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, write it down on every single atlas in every single book mm -hmm. because it's just so depressing to mm -hmm. think that my existence, mm -hmm. like, it's like you're denying my existence. That's yeah. how I feel. And I feel like people don't, can't relate to that unless they're also from a group of marginalized, <clears throat> marginalized people or they're Palestinian. And when you talk about existence, I think the reality is that we have many existences some of us and and i understand from the perspective of those who are on the ground whose existence unfortunately because they've stayed uh, has been one of of pain and enduring a lot of suffering on a daily basis that's something that as much as we might try to connect to we'll never fully know but that's all the more reason to preserve palestine i think we really need to avoid dividing ourselves as palestinians and rather focus on what unites us
um, yeah, I think, and I really admire people who, who shift uh, the focus on that. Because we all want the same thing at the end of the day. Exactly. So my next question to you um, is, if you could meet any Palestinian dead or alive, Oof. who would it be? <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know that I'd go dead right now. My brain is in a, in a lively state. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> dead. Although I guess that's the allure of the question, right? Feels like I mean, because a lot of, yeah. I'm curious. No, it could be, no, it could definitely be someone alive. I mean. So alive, I would choose Hamad Assaf, which sounds kind of silly. <laughs> no. The, but the reason is, um, I think that anthem, Demi Palestini, for me, just came into my life at a very important sort of juncture. And I find his voice to be really powerful and inspiring. Yeah. And it, again, it, it speaks to that moments of unity when he was on the show, Arab Idol and what have you. So I would love to just, you know, hang out with him and maybe just have him sing. <laughs> maybe I should just go to his concert. Never mind. Also, this might seem random, but um, I've been to one of her spoken word sort of uh, shows, for lack of a better term. But uh, I would love to sit down and have a proper chat, even though we, we Instagram message sometimes. Um, Suhair Hamad, I don't know if you know her, mm -hmm. she is a Palestinian poet, Drops of This Story. So the book was Drops of This Story. It's an incredible book. I would highly recommend it. When I was 17, my sister gave me a book of her poetry, and I used to write poems a lot when I was a kid, and I still do. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> they were pretty cheesy back then, but, but um, it was really like what I did to make myself feel better emotionally, sort of. When I was going through a rough time and anyway all this to say I saw her when I was 17 or 16 in Brooklyn and it was so moving to hear her uh, powerful Palestinian woman unapologetically speaking her truth and all of its complexities and it gave me goosebumps then and it still does now and so like sometimes when she uh, like responds to my stuff on social media I kind of fanboy out <laughs> um, so one day I would love to meet her that's who comes to the top of my mind I know you probably want me to say some like big no not at all i mean this is a question one yeah. of the questions we ask everyone yeah. and i just love asking it because yeah. it's not only for for you to get your mind thinking but also for the people listening right now right, right. to start following these people yeah. and learning about yeah. them and you know i think i think that's also really important so my very last question to you is also a question we ask everyone what is the best and the worst thing about being Palestinian? I know it sounds surprising when you hear it. Like, okay. why am I asking about the worst? No. But I think question. it's important to say it because... Amen. Because, you know, we need to also... Because a, a lot of the time, what's the worst thing about pa being Palestinian is what is needed to, you know, be heard by other people as well. Can I flip the question and ask you what's the best thing? <laughs> Have you given your answer? No, I haven't. <laughs> I knew a journalist would ask. Me. <laughs> now you're surprising everyone. We'll take turns. The best thing about being Palestinian, it's not a flippant answer. I, I just want to preface it. Access to Ma'lube. <laughs> Easy access to Ma'lube. <laughs> and, and all those other... No. What's your favorite Ma'lube? Oh my God. All of them? John no, or... All of them, but you hate. Wow. What's weird is I don't eat bitunjan, and it's like that's why I'm. It's like a Palestinian. It's like an anomaly. I'm aware. I know, and people are like, okay, never mind. It's everything. Like you've not ever drinking done. water for us. <laughs> everything you've ever done means you're, you know something's wrong. You're an imposter. I'm at Lubeya. I love it. But I love it all. But I don't eat eggplant, so I eat. The, although it's always with eggplant, so I pick it up. No, Zahra as well with Zahra. Zahra. I love yeah. Zahra. Is that you right? My mom makes it with eggplant because everyone in the family loves eggplant, mm -hmm. as they should. <laughs> Shame on you, Ahmad. This is the one thing where I apply it to myself because I know. Uh, no, I think um, yeah, the best thing about being Palestinian is it's like the cradle of civilization. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I have such a reverence and admiration for our rich history that mm -hmm. so often gets lost. I know that's like not a specific answer. Matlube is my specific answer. <laughs> to Matlube. My generic answer is just like we've got like a really, really rich history and culture, whether you want to look at it intellectually, philosophically, um, you know, um, uh, and so, you know, that's I'm, I'm always I don't know why. Why am I so proud to be Palestinian? Because we're 
we are literally the most unique like species. Yeah, like yeah. we really are. And I know By that sounds way, so. <laughs> We're the most <laughs> unique. No, I. It's a good question, but it's also I don't know how to answer it. Yeah, because there's so many good parts about being Palestinian. I think the worst is always having to explain yourself that everything has to be political. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gets so tiring. Yeah, no matter where I go and always having to sort of justify either your existence or your passion or your desire to belong or the fact that you do belong. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've wasted a conversation in, in undergrad in particular when I moved to the U.S., for example, was 17 and even though I was born there I'd never lived there and you know I had a Palestinian flag in my dorm room I mean hello. <laughs> still still has some of those attributes but I, I felt like it was always important to visibility is important so I would have the flag and girls would come by the room and they'd try to flirt you know as one does in college and oh my god I love your flag and I'd be like where's it from in Palestine just the lack of knowledge like yeah. Pakistan like oh you know and so there, it's just like Always having to explain is not the worst thing, but it's it can get exhausting having to justify yeah. the basics, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that we exist, that you know, we deserve basic human rights. Exactly, <laughs> the whole shebang. It's I think that's the worst. Maybe the best thing about being Palestinian is that feeling I get when I'm with other Palestinians, whether they're inside Palestine, whether they're strangers. Uh, you know, even if they are strangers, there's always like for me, it's like. Every Palestinian I meet is like a stranger in recognition because like kind of clock each other and you have that shared um, struggle, but also that shared sort of reverence and passion and pride in our in our existence and culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you didn't tell me what's the worst no, thing. No, here you go. Do you agree with me? No. <laughs> of course I agree. I agree with everyone, everyone's opinions on this, everyone's yeah. answers. Um, but to me personally, I think the best part about being Palestinian Mm. not to pin it to one thing Mm -hmm. is how resilient we are Mm -hmm. you know how we just any we'll never give up we'll never be silenced as much as people try they try um I don't know how to describe it like I have a feeling inside me and I know without you even saying it without anyone else saying it I know every Palestinian feels what I'm feeling inside perseverance yeah Yeah. and it's just such a like amazing feeling it gives you strength Mm -hmm. not just when it comes to palestine and fighting for palestine Mm -hmm. but in everything in your life it makes you stronger you Mm -hmm. know it's it's such a beautiful feeling and i can't say how proud i am to be palestinian like i know it sounds so snobby because all palestinians say this like we sound so snobby by the way like we really do to the outside world but we have the right like we actually come from the most incredible place in the world and it's proof because like the proof is that people have been battling over it for centuries not just you know the last 74 years for centuries and that just goes to show how important this this land is prophets have have touched you know our mountains people have um you know some of the most incredible minds have came out of palestine and it just all gives me such a sense of pride um as for the worst thing no doubt about it it's that i can't go to my home country Mm -hmm. to my homeland Mm -hmm. that's definitely the hardest part but that's the thing it's not the worst part just the hardest part Mm -hmm. and why i ask this question is because at least for my two answers they're kind of related you know like i feel like because i can't visit Mm -hmm. is why i sense this pride also it's a good point you know not that I'm not proud regardless, but it, when you're banned from saying something or doing something or visiting something, you only want it even more, you yeah. know? Now that I've heard your answer. Are you going to change your answer no, now? Are you going to copy me? <laughs> I'm going to be a bit more succinct with the, because it's true. I think you're right. It's a universal feeling of, about the best thing that you described. For me, I would say, just to do the worst thing, and I don't want to end on a Debbie Downer, but I think it's really true and palpable for me. The worst thing about being Palestinian, and to phrase it that way it does sound weird. Right? Way, I never <laughs> want to say that, but since we're here, I would say the pain. Mm-hmm. The pain of yeah, loss definitely. and trauma and all that stuff that's inherited because it's unavoidable. Yeah, the suffering. But to your point, I think that pain um, 
is also connected to what the best thing is exactly is persistence and that yeah that power of course the, the my guest that's the um, emmy nominated journalist is the only person that not only asked me for my my opinion yeah, but curious. also figured it out <laughs> <laughs> well that's why they don't pay me the big bucks <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Preserving Palestine. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And really, I mean, I loved every second of it. And if I'm honest, one of the people that I would have mentioned um, about who I would have met would have been you. Oh, so that came true today. So, so thank wow. you for, for having it. Really an honor because <laughs> that's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm going to watch and she's going to say that to her. No, no, I actually <laughs> Uh, but thank you. More power to you. It's amazing. Uh, we need more of this kind of stuff out there. So thank you. Thank you. My name is Lina Sadi, and we thank you for listening to this episode of Preserving Palestine by Grazia Middle East. Tune in for a new episode next Wednesday.